thanks for tuning in to this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We're a church that exists to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to make others great. We hope you encounter Jesus today while you listen to this message. Have an amazing day. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We are going to continue our series. The gloves are off. Okay. Or we could all go home. We're going to continue our series, The Gloves Are Off. We're going to talk about the Bible. God's going to speak to you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not ready? There, we're all not ready, so let's just be ready to not be ready. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read a handful of verses this morning. I am excited to share. I'm excited to be in church. Um, I'm excited that the Bible, that we have the Bible. I love the Bible so good, and uh, I just really am thankful that we get to show up every week together and take this thing at at the Word of God and believe that God's not done speaking, that He's going to speak to us. So this is going to be so good. Um, I'm actually going to just pray for us one more time. Can I do that? just feel like I want want to pray one more time. God, open up your Word to us this morning, and I just ask right now that you'd shake us out of the routine of the Bible, (laughs) and we would realize this is your Word that you are speaking to us right now. So we open up our hearts, Lord, everywhere that we're not hungry, would you make us be hungry? And uh, I pray that we would have ears to hear your word. We would have eyes to see you in it. We would have hearts to understand and receive it. And we sign up right now to be different than we are right now in the next 35 minutes. So come and do it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, that's why. Wrong, Wrong one. There we are. I was confused. I was like, that's not the sermon I'm preaching, but I found it. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10. We're gonna read verses 35, uh, and we'll see how far we go, and then we'll see where it takes us this morning. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, says this, therefore do not, dang it, why does the Bible always tell me what not to to do? It's gonna be one of those messages. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great, reward for you. Is anybody included in you? Good. Okay. We're all in the same boat this morning for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for here's a little quote here from something else here in the Bible yet a little while and the coming one will come and he will not delay by my righteous one, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we, everybody say we. we, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we, everybody say we, we, we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's do one more verse. Uh, I know it like switches chapters, but did you know you, can, you don't have to stop when the chapter ends? You can actually keep reading. You know, it's one cohesive thought. It's amazing. So just playing. Can we have fun? Okay. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. I'm excited to continue our series, The Gloves Are Off, this morning. It's been a good handful of weeks together. Have you enjoyed it? That's encouraging. And I, I couldn't really come up with a good title to go off to go with our the gloves are off thing this morning. So I just want to preach a message to you this morning titled Unicorns. <laughs> Unicorns. So go ahead and write that at the top of your notes. Unicorns. 
Does anybody think pugs are cute? Okay, good for you. Good for you. We just read a few verses in the the book of Hebrews. I'm going to give you a little bit of a Bible reading lesson in Hebrews. Can we do that for the first few minutes? Um, I don't know about you, but I always learn a lot when I learn not just what the Bible says, but about kind of the context and God has a lot to say to us. And we, if we can understand not just what we read on the pages, but why was it written and who was it written to and all of those sort of amazing things. And I've learned some things about the Bible along the way. And I don't know if you know all this, so I'm just going to share it with you. Hebrews, uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some people think it was Paul. Some people think that it was uh, some people running around with him. Um, But from what I understand, the the general consensus is, even though some people feel like they have a good guess, the consensus is we don't know that we know that we know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. And we don't know exactly who the original audience was, but we know something about the audience that the book of Hebrews was written to. And it's even why the title is Hebrews. It was written to Jewish Christians. So people who had grown up in the Jewish system, who had been alive following the Jewish tradition, and then were, were, were alive and alive right after Jesus, who came to completely flip the whole thing on its head a little bit. Not, not even just flip it on its head, but fulfill it. You know, so Jesus comes and he, he is the sacrifice and all of these sort of amazing things. So this author is writing the book of Hebrews to a, a, a crew of Jewish Christians. And he is assuming something about them that we realize, that we realize as we read the book of Hebrews and, and, and see what he's writing here. We can assume that they're Jewish Christians and that they really knew the Old Testament. Because the book of Hebrews is like chock full of Old Testament references, referring back to stories and people and concepts from the Old Testament and relating them to Jesus. But the book doesn't go back and explain all of those things. It just kind of starts assuming you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? So whether or not you know the Old Testament really well today, that's okay, because we're going to do a little bit of context for you. Does that sound good? We are reading a few verses in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, but there's uh, one through nine before chapter 10, which makes sense. And the leading up to the verses that we just read, the book of Hebrews is the author kind of comparing Jesus to four different things. There's four different chunks that the first 10 chapters are broken up to, comparing Jesus to different things that these Jewish Christians would have context for. In chapters one and two, the author is comparing Jesus to angels and the Torah. So the first five books of what we have as the Bible, it was the, the beginning of the Jewish Bible. So there were some things that these people believed about angels and the Torah that he then connects Jesus to. So they, uh, for example, they, they believed out of, out of Deuteronomy that like when Moses wrote the law, there was angels who came and spoke to Moses and gave Moses the word of God to write down for his people. So it was angels who essentially delivered the Torah, the word of God to his people. So it's significant. It's not just like floaty babies on clouds and a book. You understand this is a, this is a huge deal. And, and, and he's com- he compares Jesus and basically makes this case for how much more superior Jesus is himself to angels and to the Torah. He's, he's elevating Jesus in chapters one and two and saying he is, the, the, he is not really even just a superior word of God, like he is the word of God. He makes this statement, he is the imprint of the nature of God. There is no God separate than Jesus. Jesus was God become man. He is the fulfillment of the word. He is God's word. That's chapters one and two. In chapters three through four, 
he, the author is utilizing Moses and the promised land. Kind of the main narrative of the Old Testament is about how God called the Israelites, his people, how he was gonna raise them up as a nation that he would bless so that all the nations of the earth could see what it would look like to follow the one true God. And though people would look and say, wow, there's a lot of blessing following this God. We wanna follow and know this God too. The problem was these people were all people and they kept running away from God. I know you would never do such a thing. But the Old Testament is story after story of the people of God running away from God and God pursuing them and setting them, through, setting them free. The main narrative being how he, they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God raises up Moses so that he can set them free. And this is the Old Testament narrative of the people of God being called to be with him, but enslaving ourselves in our own sin, but God sending a rescuer to pull us out. And that's the case that Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is making in three and four is Jesus is the fulfillment of the narrative of the human nature. Jesus is the fulfillment of the narrative of the plan of God, that God would call out people to raise them up so that they, he could bless them and show himself to the nations of the earth. But we all run away and we reject him, but God has sent his savior, not in Moses, but in Jesus to set us free. He is now the fulfillment of the rescuer and Jesus himself is the promised land. He is our hope for new creation. Sounds like a good book. I, I just think, dare you to go read it this week. Yeah. Next, the author uses a, a conversation about priests in chapters five through seven. Priests, and even brings up this, this one priest with the name Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is kind of this mysterious character that we meet in Genesis and kind of gets brought up throughout the rest of the Bible. Um, but, but it was promised that the Savior would be a priest out of the order of Melchizedek, which is like, cool, sounds, Melchizedek, sounds like a big church word. What's it mean? The author of Hebrews is talking about priests, which of course they would have been very familiar with, how there was this need under the old covenant to have these priests who would minister to God on behalf of the people, who would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. But just like the people that the priests were ministering on behalf of, the priests were people too. And if you read the Old Testament, the story of the people of God, it's not just the people, the, the normal people, the non-church people who run away. It's the priests who oftentimes are leading the way, taking people astray from the things of God. Because I don't know if you've realized this, but when God sees people, he just sees people. People are people and we all run away. And so the author is talking about priests that they would have been really familiar with, this kind of tension of God has called us to be in relationship with him, but we need a mediator, which is why he rose up priests. But these priests keep messing up and I actually know some of them and I know their backstory and they're not actually all that great. You ever known somebody in the back? You're, okay, you, come on. I know it's the Old Testament, but, but it's just like us. And so the author is making the point that Jesus is our new high priest. 
He says that he is our new high priest. He is our eternal priest, that he is flawless, that he is faithful, that he has entered into the holy places, not just on behalf of us, but to make a way for us also to make our way into the holy places. In other parts of the Bible, the the Bible actually tells us that we as believers are all priests. We are a holy nation. God has redefined us in the, in the man Jesus. We become priests just like he has become priests. So that is what chapters five and seven are all about. Jesus is our great high priest. And then in chapters eight through 10, he kind of carries on the idea of the priest and specifically talks about sacrifices, the sacrificial system and the system of covenant that people were familiar with, how Daily and annually, there were sacrifices offered. There was animal sacrifices made so that we could atone for our sin and be made clean so that we could be in relationship with God. Romans tells us, and this is what they were living out, is that the penalty of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. And so they were living in this system of sacrifices, but even the sacrifices in themselves were never perfect. They were never perfect. And, and not only were the sacrifices not perfect, but the ability of the people to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifices was never perfect. So much of the Old Testament is not just them walking away, but there's so many instances of God coming to his people and saying, you're making sacrifices, but you're not even giving me your good stuff. There's whole books of the Bible where God is saying, you are reserving for me the sick and the broken and the blemished and offering that as your sacrifice. So the whole sacrificial system, they couldn't even keep it. But Hebrews says, Jesus is our sacrifice. He is our perfect sacrifice. The the one sacrifice made once for all so that priests don't have to make sacrifices. We don't have to be made, we don't have to make sacrifices. Jesus is our sacrifice. And not only is he our sacrifice, but he is the foundation as that sacrifice of a brand new covenant, which relates back to everything else he said, where we get to know the living word of God. We don't just have it written on tablets of stone. We have it written on our hearts that we can actually be not just know God from afar, but be filled with his spirit. That when God looks at us, he sees us according to his son, not according to our sin or the blood of some animal, but by the blood of the perfect lamb, the word of God. Amen. So Hebrews is about Jesus. A little bit of a backstory. And so he's writing all, he's making all of these comparisons. He's, he's encouraging them in who Jesus is. He's defining for them, reminding them, painting the picture of how incredible Jesus is. And his point that he gets to, which is about where we start and pick up our verses, is because he is so amazing, follow him. Follow him. Now, now you know who he is. Now make the decision to follow him. Remain faithful to Jesus, trusting that no matter what, no matter what difficulty you go through, no matter what you do or don't understand, God in the man Jesus proves that he will never abandon his people. Which brings us to, like I said, our verses that we started today. So imagine you've read one through 10 through 34 and that brings us to 10 verse 35, therefore. 
therefore. Usually when therefore is there, it's there for a big reason. It's, it's a 10 chapter therefore. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by my righteous one shall live by, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but, but we know who Jesus is. We are convinced of who Jesus is. So we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who live by and preserve our souls. Now, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 1 through 10, verse 34 is just, this is awesome. Jesus is amazing. He's better than anybody ever thought he could be. And now in verse 10, 35, he continues the thought, but this is hard. This is awesome, but this is hard. This is hard. This is difficult. And another thing we learn about our audience as you read the next few chapters is that they are going through some tough stuff. It's costing them everything to be Jews that are now deciding that Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. They're being killed. They're losing friends. People are disowning them. People who they've been following Jesus with are deciding this isn't worth it anymore. I'm out. They're turning their back on Jesus. Basically, every way it could be hard relationally, physically, it's happening. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about some of you have endured to the point of shedding blood. Some of you haven't, but some of you have. They're watching friends and family die, desert them. It's challenging. It's hard. And this is where we get to the unicorns. This is where we get to the unicorns. Hebrews 11 verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I think I can confidently say for those of us in the room, we're not facing persecution in the same exact way that they were facing persecution in Hebrews. I feel like I can confidently assume that we don't have family and friends that have died and have been killed over the last year for their faith, that none of us have been enduring persecution right now to the point of blood, but I would suggest that we are facing many challenges to our faith, just like they were in the book of Hebrews. Not the same challenges, but challenges nonetheless. I don't say that we're not facing persecution in the sense of we're just, we're just like uh, B students because we haven't actually been persecuted. I'm just saying it's not the same, but it's the same. <laughs> we have challenges to our faith and we have things pulling us away. I, th I think that some of the, maybe not necessarily it's the same persecution and there are layers of persecution in our life for sure, but some of the challenges that we are facing are things like apathy, things like options is a challenge to our faith. Comfort, it's a challenge to our faith. A lack of urgency to our faith is a challenge to our faith. The routine of being here every Sunday, and it's actually really awesome, and sometimes really awesome can become routine. 
We are facing challenges to our faith. And the Bible says we are supposed to walk by faith, which sounds so good and sounds so awesome. I want to be a man of faith. Let's be a people of faith. But, but can we revisit one more time the definition? The assurance of what we hope for and being convicted of what we do not see. That's hard. That's actually, that's actually hard. And, and while we, in this room, while we are living lives where we are invited to put our hope into so many other things, so many things we can see, so many things we don't have to be that convicted of because we can control it. And that's why our hope is in it. We are called to still live by faith. And that's hard. All of these things, these things that we have the option to put our faith in, pull us away from our faith in Jesus. And in our world, in our, in our life, just like the people in the book of Hebrews, we are pulled to give up on our faith. We are pulled to let go of our faith. And if we can be honest this morning, it gets hard and we're pulled and it's challenging because sometimes having faith feels like believing in unicorns. And that's even something that critics of our faith say, you know, oh, you're going to believe in God. Why don't you believe in unicorns too? As if they're the same thing. Now, this isn't a, an apologetics lesson. And it's a completely ignorant comparison to make because the evidence for Jesus is pretty darn good. But this isn't an apologetics lesson because Hebrews, as much as it is an explanation of Jesus, it is not as its core an apologetics lesson of how Jesus did exist. They knew he existed. They had people who had walked with Jesus in their midst. Some of them had seen him. They knew Jesus. And the thing is that we learn about faith is that no matter what we factually know about Jesus, we never graduate for the need of faith to walk with Jesus. No matter what we know of Jesus factually, we never graduate from the faith we need to walk with him every day. It's just a challenge. It's a challenge and it's a challenge for the Hebrews not to believe that Jesus existed, not even to believe that Jesus was who he says that he was. Not even to believe that Jesus did what he said he did. They, they believed in all of that stuff. The challenge is not to just let go. Because honestly, you can be totally, you can believe that Jesus was who he said he was. You can believe that Jesus said who, or did what he said that he did and what the Bible says that he did, but still it's easier to let go. And they're facing that decision. And today, this is our challenge as well. This is our challenge, the challenge of faith. And I would submit to all of us and encourage all of us this morning that the challenge of faith that we face is that faith always feels like faith. The challenge of faith is that faith always feels like faith. I want to have faith that turns into facts so I don't have to have faith anymore. <laughs> we want to be a great people of faith. I'll be real. How about that? Most of the time, I don't want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man of facts. I want it to happen. I want to see it. I want it to be like I'm believing for it to be. I don't want to believe it anymore. I want to see it. I don't want to be convinced of it anymore. I want to touch it. I don't want to be assured of it anymore. I want to hold it. <laughs> 
But the challenge of faith is that it never stops needing faith. Now, when you walk with God and when you walk by faith, you will see more of God. You will see things that you don't currently see. You will hold things that you're not currently holding. But God doesn't end. So there's just, you're never gonna see it all. And that is the invitation to always walk by faith. You will see more of God when you walk by faith, but by definition, you will always have to walk in the assurance of things you're hoping for and the conviction of things you don't see. Don't give up. Don't let go. My goal this morning in our time together is to encourage you in your faith. It's to encourage you in your faith, encourage you in who Jesus is, just like Hebrews does, and to encourage you and challenge you and exhort you in light of who he is, do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence in who Jesus is. Do not throw away your faith just because it's hard. The promise is that it has a great reward. If you feel like you're living by faith, don't let go. If I would have kept up with the series titles this morning, this message would have been, the gloves are off my faith, but unicorns are more fun. (laughs) We have to decide time and time again, are we in? See, Hebrews 11, this is where the unicorns come in. Are we in for this? Are we in for this? Faith is the decision over and over again. Do I really believe Jesus over what I can see? Is he really going to be what I hope for him to be? When I read this book, am I gonna take what it says over my experience? Or am I gonna exalt my experience over what it says? Sometimes believing in a word that God has spoken to you feels like believing in a unicorn. I've never seen it. I haven't touched it. I don't know what color it is or what it really looks like, but I can see something in my imagination. I've got nothing other than he said it, so I'm believing it. I shared miracle stories last week, if you were here from our time in Burma. We see miracles here all the time, and it was interesting being up here, sharing stories about people hearing for the first time, for people being able to move in ways that they couldn't move because of the power of God. It was interesting being up here and seeing all the different facial expressions. And when we hear miracle stories, some of us get really excited. Some of us get really challenged and questioning. Some of us get angry because we don't believe in that. And there's so many different schools of thought on miracles. But then somebody stands up and says, yeah, but I saw it. Or sometimes you see it. You see God do something you didn't believe God did. And you got to decide, well, what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that? And, and when I share these miracle stories, I, I hope it, it, it stirred you up a little bit. I hope it got you excited, but I hope it challenged you and confused you. I know it challenges and confuses me because yeah. I want more. And then I got questions. Why don't we see it more? Why, why, why don't I see it every time? Why didn't it happen the one time? Why didn't it happen this next time? Is it going to happen next time? We've got the questions, but there is a decision that we have to make. In Matthew chapter 10, verses seven and eight, the Bible says this. I warn you, the Bible says this. In Matthew chapter 10, seven and eight. Is it gonna be up there? I'll race you. Okay, here we go. Jesus says this, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You've received without paying, give without pay. 
Talking about miracles is uncomfortable. Talking about a lot of what the Bible says is really uncomfortable. We can pretend like it's nice and easy when it's nice and easy, but if we read this thing, it's like, what? I'm not given miracles as an option to believe that those happen some days. I'm commanded to walk in miracles. You are commanded to walk in the power of God and walk in miracles. We are commanded to do these things, which is really uncomfortable. Because when I don't, it's like, well, what are you saying about me? Does God still love me? It's like I have to run to Jesus. See, what my, my, all I'm trying to say is that there is a lot that I'm believing for that I've never seen. There's a lot that I'm praying for that I've never seen. There's a lot of times that I don't even know how much I believe it. Can I just be the one to say it loudest in church? Because we're all saying it. There's a lot of times I don't even know how much I'm, I'm, I'm believing the word that God spoke. But the question is, am I going to throw it away? Am I going to throw away my confidence in the word of God just because I haven't experienced it the way the word of God says I can experience? I have to decide and we have to decide what are we going to do when what God says feels like believing in unicorns? It's not unicorns because it's real. He's faithful. Hebrews 1 through 10. He's faithful to his word. He's better than we think he is. He's doing more than we think he's doing. He's saying, well, but it doesn't always feel that way. So what are we going to do? Are we going to be shaped by what God's word says? Or are we going to shape God's word by what I feel? Sometimes believing what Jesus says feels like believing in unicorns. And the last thing I want to say is that when we're following him, if we're doing it right, we should sometimes feel like unicorns. We should sometimes feel like unicorns. The truth is that if you follow Jesus, you really shouldn't fit in with the world around you. You shouldn't look like everyone else. You shouldn't act like everyone else. See, we live in a world that has horses with no horns and cows have two horns and a horse with one horn just doesn't fit. You are born again when you give your life to Jesus. You die to yourself. You are filled with the spirit of the living God. Your job is not to be so relevant that nobody knows you're different. Your job is not to be so normal that nobody knows you're any different. Stop trying to hide your horn. Your life should make people feel uncomfortable. Not because you're trying to make people feel uncomfortable, but because you are a unicorn. It's just how it is. It's not because you got to make some big statement or make a point and try to make you uncomfortable. It just is what it is. It just is what it is. You, you got to stop trying to be comfortable because the truth is when you're really a Christian, when Jesus lives inside of you, when you're following him and you're living your life trying to make everybody else comfortable, have you ever noticed how uncomfortable you are? And it's costing us and it's costing the people around us. You are supposed to be different. You should look different. And again, not because you're making substatement, but just because things that aren't the same are uncomfortable. The goal isn't to make statements or be weird. It's just the goal is I'm not trying to get past the fact that the old has passed away and the new has come. It is what it is.
In Matthew chapter four, I'm not gonna read it, I don't have time. But Jesus calls his disciples and there's a story, you've probably heard it. He comes up by the sea and he sees some brothers, he sees some friends and he says, follow me. And the Bible says they immediately dropped their nets and left their boats and left their father and they followed him. And it's like, you know, real short part of the, part of the page. And we usually read that and we say, great. And we sing kids songs about follow me and drop your nets. And then we move on and we read the rest of the gospels like they understood what was going on. And then when we don't understand what's going on, we get discouraged and we feel like we're not doing it right. But can we talk a second about what those verses said? They left everything and had zero clue what was going on. Some of them didn't even believe Jesus was the son of God until they touched him after he raised from the dead. It's like 24 more chapters later. They were just following him. Watching him do miracles that they didn't believe in. Watching them associate people that, with, with people they didn't like. There's story after story of people coming up to the disciples saying, hey, why is he doing, why is he hanging out with sinners? Why is he doing that on the Sabbath? And they're like, I could be wrong, but I didn't really actually find the story where the disciples actually give an answer. Usually it says, and Jesus heard their question and said, they had no idea what Jesus was doing. They had no idea where they were going. They had no idea where this was leading. They walked with him. They talked with him. They saw him do it. And when he got arrested, they all ran away. There was one of them that was even there to watch him die. There was zero of them at the grave to watch him raise. They had no clue what was going on. They felt like unicorns following this Jesus. And it's not until the book of Acts when Jesus ascends and sends the Holy Spirit to fill his followers that we get a verse in Acts chapter four, verse 13. If we could put it up, oh, I didn't mark it. They've been arrested and people are looking at them and it says when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they were used to seeing the questions of Peter and John, the confusion of Peter and John, but they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled ordinary men. They were astonished because they were looking at unicorns. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus was a unicorn. And when you give your life to him and follow him, you should expect to be turned into one too. And sometimes believing what he says is gonna feel like you are being called to believe in unicorns. Sometimes doing what he's asking you to do feels like he's calling you to be a unicorn. Act like that, forgive like that, do what with my money, do what with my attitude, do what with my time, do what with my peace, trust in what? And people are gonna look at you funny, but it is what it is. And I just wanna encourage you this morning, when it happens, when it feels like unicorns, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You have need of endurance. God knows, God knows you have need of endurance. So that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and preserve our souls. What do we mean when we say,
have faith. We have the assurance of things hoped for. And we are convinced of things that are not seen. I want to see you to stand up as we close this morning. We want to thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can check us out on social media at Antioch Indy or go to our website, www.antiochindy.com. Oh, <laughs>